Okay, I'm going to tell you a story of a lion. You guys ready? Once there was a lion who was so proud of his supposed mastery of the animal kingdom. He proudly and confidently goes to the bear and he asks him, him, Who is the king of the jungle, bear? And the bear, trembling, "Why, why, Why, you are, of course, Mr. Lion. The lion, then he gave a mighty roar of approval. I'm not going to roar right now, so just forget about it. Next, he asked the tiger, Hey, Mr. Tiger, who is the king of the jungle? The tiger replied quickly, Everyone knows that you are, O great lion. Once again, the lion roared with pride. Then the lion boldly faced the elephant. And he asked, Elephant, who is the king of the jungle? The elephant immediately grabbed the lion with his trunk, whirled him around in the air, and slammed him into a tree. Then he pounded him onto the ground several times, dunked him into a water nearby lake, and finally threw him on the shore. The lion, bruised and beaten, struggled to his feet. He looked at the elephant and said, Hey, just because you didn't know the answer, there's no reason why you got to get upset about it. Clearly, if you don't know, it's a joke, guys. Clearly, the lion was so blinded by his pride, he could not see the reality of the situation. Even after being beaten, even after taking, getting the, the elephant took him in, he still thought his pride blinded him. He didn't let him see what his situation was. So today, we will see the apostles struggle with pride. And we will also see how our gracious Lord responses with his perfect love. Turn your Bibles to... Matthew chapter 18, verses 1. Everyone stop copying. Turn to your Bibles right now. There's plenty of time to copy. Turn to your Bibles right now. Chapter 18, verse 1. The Word of God says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, Unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Today's lesson can be broken down into four points of this great discussion. Four points of this great discussion. We have in our outlines, the first point that we're going to look at today is the question. And that's going to be found in verses 1 through 2. The second point we're going to discuss today is the answer. Jesus' answer to this question, verses 3 to 4. Next Wednesday, we're going to look at the third point, which is the warning. And the Wednesday after that, we're going to look at the example, verses 12 through 14. So basically, we're going to follow this outline for a couple of weeks. The theme, the universal principle that we can apply to our lives and that the church back then applied to themselves is this, believers need to transform their minds to the truths of God's kingdom. Believers need to transform their minds to the truths of God's 
kingdom. And we're going to look at that today. So, we've been going through the book of Matthew. Does anybody, can anybody tell me what the theme for the book of Matthew is? Have a go. Jesus as king. Exactly. That is the theme. So Matthew's writing this letter to the Jews in Rome, and the theme is Jesus is king. What, was la- what happened last week when Jesus asked Peter, from whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll taxes? Remember that question? Remember that, that Jesus asked Peter? And what did Peter respond? From who? Is this the microphone too loud? From who? doesn't help that I'm in a loud speaker too. From who? Guys, from who? From strangers, right? And then what did Jesus respond? Then the sons are exempt. So here Jesus is letting Peter and the readers know that he is king, he is Lord, he is God, right? If the temple was made to worship God and the temple tax is collected to take care of the tabernacle, sorry, the temple, what happens? He doesn't have to pay because he's the son of God, right? So... Not only does Jesus show us who he is, Jesus as king, right? He also shows us his great humility. And how? How did he show his great humility? What did he tell Peter to do? He told him, God, don't pay that. I'm the king. I don't need to pay any of that. Is that what Jesus did? What did he do? Nico. How? How did he tell Peter to go and pay for it? Yes, he told Peter, go fish, and what happened, Natalie? In the mouth of the fish. And he paid for him and for Peter. Now, maybe this was in the mind of the disciples as they're asking this question of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, Jesus just said he's, he's God, he's the king, and that means that there's a kingdom, right? And maybe some of them didn't really understand the fact that Jesus, as we've been talking about since we started Matthew, he came to talk to the people about a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom, right? So maybe some of them were still thinking, there is a physical kingdom, and what if I can get rank in this kingdom? We're going to find out together. Because I know it's a simple question, but it's profound. It's deep, and and, and, and it's so awesome that we can study this verse together today. I'm super excited about it. Let's go to the, for the, to the first point of this conversation of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The question, verse number one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? At that time, basically in the Greek says, means a period of indeterminate length, usually short, meaning near the previous conversation. Okay? Here, at that time, is kind of like more or less of following the order of events that we've been talking about, okay? From chapter, the, from the tribute money to the, gen, the, the demon man that was possessed, all this, chapter 17 and 18 combined, at that time, during this moment, the disciples came to Jesus. And so, and who did Jesus have this conversation with? His disciples, right? Some commentators write that there, there might have been other people in Peter's house that might have heard but it's focused towards his disciples. So they came to Jesus and said, the Greek word for came basically means to approach someone with a question. They approached Jesus with a question. Let's just take a moment right there and pause. How lucky were the apostles to ask any type of questions to Jesus? Pretty lucky, right? 
I mean, they had the Son of God there for any question that they wanted, and they took advantage of it. Can you imagine asking any question to Jesus? If you could ask this question, what would it be? Right? Now, you don't have to imagine too much, because guess what? God, in His grace, gave us 66 books that we could open up and hear His Word. We can hear God through His Word. All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's sufficient. So the majority of questions for all the questions that we might have in life is this. I want to clarify something I said last week. Last week I said, it's okay to have doubt in God. It's okay to have doubt sometimes in the world. What I meant was it's normal that these things occur because of our sinful, the sinfulness we're going to have these things. It's not okay, obviously, to not trust in God. That's a sin. We have to repent from that. But I was trying to say it's normal to go through these questions and to have these questions. But through God's grace, He gave us His Word that we can read and we can study and we can go as deep as we want for God's answers to many of our questions. And in His grace, many of them are answered. Now, don't ask me to completely understand the Trinity. That's up to you as a faith. Don't ask me to explain election and choice. Chapter 3 in John. It's called the twin truths. You believe them parallel. They're both truths, but you have to believe at the same time. And that's God. Our finite mind takes us so much, but the Word of God is enough and it's sufficient. Amen? What is this question? It's, you can skip over it and just like, oh, it's just another question, but it's a profound question that has so much depth to it that we're going to unpack together. The question is, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The Greek for greatest means here of size or importance. Basically, who is the most important in the kingdom of heaven? The Greek word for kingdom of heaven is basically God's abode where he lives. This is what we're talking about here. God's kingdom. Kingdom of heaven. So, why this question? Do you think it's just random question that the disciples were together just talking about one thing? Is it like, let's randomly ask Jesus? No. Thank God for the other Gospels that we have. And it's gonna, they're going to give us context of why this question. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. This is a parallel passage. But from Luke's account, a point of view or research. Because you know Luke was a doctor and a historian. Chapter 9, verse 46. The Word of God says, An argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, took a child and stood by his side. So, what were they doing? They were arguing about who will be the greatest. What about Mark, chapter 9? Mark chapter 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. So, 
this is something that is not just, oh, a random question out of nowhere. This is something that the disciples struggled with. Something that was part of who they were, part of their, their group. Why? Because it tends to happen when you're in a group setting. You, think, you, you tend to think these things. And we're going to go into why. Some commentators speculate that that argument might have come from previous circumstances. What are these previous circumstances? Well, we studied the other day in Matthew chapter 16. If you want to go there real quick, I'll read it for you. You don't have to, but Matthew 16, verse 18. Simon, well, 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, which is Peter's confession, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be, have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. These are pretty powerful words from the Savior, from our Lord, from the Master, right? Who else was there when, he, when, when Jesus said this? The other disciples. And you know what they were thinking? Why not me? Why Peter? Why does Peter get to go to do the fun? Why does Peter get to walk on water? Why does Peter get to have all these nice words from Jesus? What about Matthew 17, verses 1 through 2? Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Who was there when Jesus chose, hey, Peter, James, John, come with me? Who was left behind? The other disciples. And what were they doing? Thank you, God, because you chose them, and that's so great. What were they thinking? Why not me? What do they have that's so special that I don't? How come they always get this special privilege? Why does John get to lay down on, the, on our teacher's chest, right? What, why? And we know that this continues because remember, Matthew's writing this after all this happened. And if you go to Matthew chapter 20, verses 20, we have, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making us to him a request. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, which is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And what does verse 24 say? And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. You see the dynamic that's going on here? Do you see why this question for them would not just be out of the blue, but it has a purpose? They also might have just heard the conversation between Peter and Jesus right there out of the, out the, outside his house or inside the home. When Jesus is telling him, yeah, I'm the, I'm the king. I don't have to pay this tax. We're going to pay it anyways because we don't want to cause him to stumble. They're like, man, he's the king. He's the Messiah. Maybe some, for the first time, God opened their eyes and saw him as, this is the Messiah, the King. 
wonder what position I'm going to get. Now, do you think that Jesus was happy to answer that question? Such a prideful question. I mean, what were, what conversations should the disciples be, disciples be having? Remember Matthew 17? I love it because it's right here. It's like, it's not like far away. This is right here what we've been, just been studying. Matthew chapter 17, verse 22. What happened? What does it say? It says, And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. How deeply were they grieved? Really, how deeply were they grieved? This couple of days, couple of hours maybe, they're, they're saying, Hey, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Jesus is like, didn't I just say what, what's going to happen? And, and this is in your mind? They were talking about earthly things and desires instead of spiritual things and God's desires. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think their heart is far away from ours? Do you think this is just an apostle thing? I don't think so. How many times do we see ourselves contemplating questions like these? Have you ever asked these types of questions before? I mean, sometimes we, I, I know that when we talk about the Pharisees, I always try to make us see ourselves there and say, hey guys, we're not that far away. Don't judge because you become like what they were. But the disciples, the apostles have shown us as well that we can learn from their mistakes as well and that we can relate to their struggles as well. What do you think were the heart issues that the disciples were struggling with that we also struggle with that made, us, that made them ask these questions? Now, when I speak about heart issues, if you're able at your young age to understand heart issues and why you act a certain way and how you can pinpoint the heart issues, put off sin, renew your mind with the Word of God, and put on righteousness, if you can start doing that from now, I wish I would have been taught this at your age. Your marriage is going to be a lot easier. Your parenting is going to be way easier because parenting is all that shepherding your heart. Why did you react that certain way? Why did you say that? What is going on? What do we need to repent? On and on and on. And you have to train yourself to get good at shepherding because that is what the Lord commands us to do. And then in your own life. Let's talk about maybe one issue that they were dealing with. Discontentment. Why would they be dealing with discontentment? Maybe they were discontent with the material things that they had or their current possessions that they had for leaving everything and following Jesus. And they thought, maybe this is my way out. Maybe if I am the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, I can have those things that I don't currently have right now. Have you ever asked yourself, why does that family have that house or those cars or those vacations? But I don't. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. So, if you 
find the issue, the heart issue, the sin issue of discontentment, we want to put that off. We want to put that off. We want to renew our mind with the Word. How do we do that? Well, Hebrews 13.5 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. What you have is enough. Right now, at this moment, at this time. What about pride? How many struggle with pride? Why didn't Jesus pick me to go to Transfiguration? Why is Peter always going to be accompanied by me? Why could I? Why, why can't I be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Why does it have to be them? I mean, that doesn't happen here, right? I'm the youth leaders. Why didn't I get that promotion? Why didn't I get that recognition for my body? What about for those that are on the team? How come I didn't get picked first? How come I'm not starting? They, they, don't they see the skill? What about when you try out for a play? How come I didn't get that role? How come I didn't get the leading role? Have they not heard me sing? Oh, that doesn't happen here. That is sin that we want to put off. How do we renew our mind with the Word of God? What does it say? Proverbs 27, 2. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Whether struggling with fear or worry. What if Peter, James, and John are more runs than me and I kind of like made them angry and they're going to take it out on me? Will I have as much as they do? I mean, we, we, we left everything for the Lord. I mean, they're going to have more than me in the kingdom of heaven? What does the Bible tell us about worry? Matthew 6, 26. Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? We put off worry. We renew our mind with the word. We put on righteousness. We stop worrying and have faith and trust in God's word that it's true. What about selfishness? I know that's nobody, especially if you have a sibling here, no one struggles here with selfishness. You guys are all so great. Man, I always see you loving your brothers and sisters, and you're like, wait, you want to watch? You, you, it's your, go ahead. Who's the controller? Wait, no, you, you want to have the last piece? Go ahead. It's all yours. That happens all the time. What were the disciples, what could they have been thinking? Man, I'm just tired of serving. When is it my turn to be served? I've been just serving, 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 and I just want to finish this. I want to be served. Guess what? What's easier? To serve or to be served? To give or to receive? To love oneself or others more? That is a lot of what we struggle with. Selfishness. It's a big sin that we have in our lives. 
we put that off, and how do we renew our mind? What does the Word of God say in Philippians 2, chapter 3, verse, chapter 2, verses 3 to 4? Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look at your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Simple question. Such profoundness is found in that question that shows you the heart of the apostles, that shows us our heart as well. Now, what is Jesus doing? What is this great teacher? How is he going to answer this question? He's going to sometimes be stern and sometimes direct, but our great Lord and Savior at this moment in time decides to be kind and loving. And he called the child to himself and set him before them. He called the child to himself. The Greek for he called means to authoritatively communicate a demand for the presence or participation. The child, the Greek word for child is young infant, toddler. Here, the Lord of the universe, the King of heaven, the King of kings and Lord of lords, knows what's in their heart, knows all this sin that's in their heart, knows their intention, knows what they're thinking, and yet decides to take this moment and make it a loving, teachable moment, slow to anger, with his disciples. He brings in a toddler. I mean, I'm, I'm, I could imagine the, 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 uh, Jesus just there with his disciples in his home, the little toddler calling coming to Jesus, and it's just a family environment. He's going to teach them a profound principle as a loving Jesus, as a loving God that we serve. How many of us can follow, can say we follow that example of Jesus, of being love and kind, even when other people don't deserve it? With our siblings, with our parents, with our friends, he had all the right to be disappointed. He had all the right to be angry with that question. But instead, he instructed them and he shepherded them with love. Guys, what an amazing Savior that we have. He is the epitome of this lesson, of what it is to be humble. This should just make us love him more, praise him more, thank him more that he's slow to anger and loving to us. Our, our, our good Lord is going to use a small child to deliver a powerful truth. Let's look at how our precious Lord responds to his disciples in the second point. In the answer. The answer is divided into two parts. We're going to look at the first part, inverted like children. Verse 3. And said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. In the Greek, the meaning for truly I say to you means, Amen. May it be so. Trustworthy. What I'm about to say, believe it because it's real. Unless you are converted and become like children. The Greek for converted means to undergo a transformation or a change 
of position or action. To undergo a transformation of change of position or action. What is the theme for today's lesson? Believers need to transform their minds to the truth of God's kingdom. Here is where the lesson is going to be. Here's where we're going to find the main idea come, to li- come alive. The Greek word for children, again, here is young. Is Jesus talking figuratively or literally? In this, in this, in this, in this answer. Is it figurative or literal? It's figurative, right? You can't convert yourself into a child. Remember the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus? Nicodemus said to him in John chapter 3, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time in his mother's womb and he can and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Let me ask you guys a question. I've tried to this word so many times and I'm probably going to get it wrong. I can't, I have so much trouble saying this. What characteristics, you see I said it wrong, characteristics, what characteristics, what characteristics do children have that our great teacher wants to reveal to us? Thoughts? Okay. Innocence? What else? Yes. Yes. And guys, I'm sorry to tell you, Santa Claus is not real, nor does he play. What else? What else? What else? Are, what, what other characteristics is Jesus looking for? Yes, Eva. Trust? Yeah, they can easily trust. We're going to find that shortly. Okay? It says, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. See, the Greek here for not enter means whether literally or figuratively. Make no mistake, my friends. This is literally now. Okay, we went from figuratively to literally. Okay? Rest assured that the consequences of not converting and becoming like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, this idea of entering the kingdom of heaven, where did, we've seen it throughout the Gospel of Matthew, right? Does it make you confused and think of work-based salvation? Oh, well, if I have to do this, then that's what's going to get me saved. Oh, far from it. Remember, salvation is by grace alone, faith alone, through Christ alone. There's nothing we could ever do to work for our salvation. It's never going to happen and never going to be good enough. Okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. So those that repent will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those that do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who become like children will enter the kingdom of heaven. So, how is this not works-based salvation? Well, to repent, to obey, and to be converted as children, guess what? That doesn't come from you. It's not in your strength. It can only come from God. God gives you the power to do those three things. 
And this command should serve to us as a barometer to see if we are in the faith, to see if our lives are characterized by repentance, obedience, and humility. If not, please talk to us about it. Now we'll do it. Not that we're perfect, guys. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we're perfect by any means. We're sinful and we sin, and that's why we need a Savior. But if your life is characterized by that, that means that it's always there. You might slip here or there, but it's always people think of you and they say, no, it's more of this than it's an assurance of your salvation that we are not saved by good works, but they're a sign that we are saved. Because the Lord allows us to do it anyway. Because God can only give glory to Himself. Right? Amen? So, you might be thinking to yourself, hold on a second, but I thought that if I would be a good person, I would, I would go to heaven on my own. I can enter the kingdom of heaven. I, I do all these things that, well, that's far from the truth. You can never be good enough to go to heaven. It's impossible. The Bible says that there is none righteous, not even one. The standard is perfection. One day you and me were going to be judged before a holy God. And there's two sentences. That can, there's two judgments that are going to happen. You're either going to be found to be guilty or you're going to be innocent. And by law, by, um, by the luck of the draw, we all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. That will be the judgment. Guilt. Humanity is guilty because they sinned before the holy God. Does, does that stay there? Does that bad news stay there? No. We have the good news. We have something called the gospel. The good news is what? That Jesus Christ humbled himself from being God, became man, 100% God, 100% man, lived the perfect life you and me could never live, died on the cross, paid for our sins, raised from the dead on the third day, and the Bible says that if you repent and believe and confess with the Lord, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will have eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. You can't get there on your own. It's impossible. The only way you're going to get there is through Jesus Christ. By trusting in what He did for you on the cross. By putting your faith only in Him for salvation. Those who bow to God, those who bow to Jesus and make Him their Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. If you have questions about this, please talk to me afterwards. Talk to one of your small group leaders. This is the important one, the most important question of your life. How will you stand before a holy God? Guilty or innocent? So what does it mean to be converted as children? Whoever then humbles himself in verse 4 as this child Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The Greek for humble means to bring low, bring a person low or down. As mentioned earlier, the Greek for greatest means greater or size of importance, right? So the quality that Jesus was looking for was the humility of children. 
humility of spirit. What does that mean? Follow with me. A commentator states, A child was a person of no importance in Jewish society, subject to the authority of his elders, not taken seriously except as a responsibility, one to be looked after, not one to be looked up to. To turn and become like children is therefore a radical reorientation from the mentality of the rat race to an acceptance of insignificance. You see, they need to flip the script. They need to transform their minds to what God is saying rather than the world. Because what does the world say? The world says, the higher you are in rank, the less you do, the less you have to do. God is saying, you want to enter the kingdom of heaven? Let me tell you something. The more rank you have, the more service you're going to provide. That is the childlike quality that Jesus is looking for. They didn't know any better. They didn't, this, is radical, this is a radical message from Jesus to them. They didn't see that in their physical kingdoms of the Romans or the Jews. They just saw rulers getting richer, taxing the poor, being oppressive, living a life while everyone else suffered. That's what they had in their mind. And Jesus, here Jesus says, you want power? Well, let me tell you something. You have to be humble as a children. You have to take away the social status that you're looking for. You have to do, take away all of those things to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, our Lord is so great, so powerful, so, so holy that these things that he doesn't respond to what he teaches? Do you think he doesn't lead by example to what he teaches? Look how great our Savior is. Mark chapter 8, verse 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The creator of the universe, the sustainer of our lives, the sustainer of galaxies of the entire universe, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Philippians 2.8 Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The most, the most shameful death you could ever think of. Jesus humbled himself to be obedient to his death. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 27. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. There is no excuse for us not to follow Christ-like example of being humble. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Jesus is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Why? Because he is the epitome of being humble. His perfection shows us that. His example shows us that throughout his life. That is who we emulate. That is who we want to be like. That is who we want to pray to be like. This loving God, who does that? 
What message do you find out there that even gets compared to this beautiful message of the Lord God, Savior, Creator of the universe coming to earth to do what He did for you and me? This leads us to our conclusion and application. Verses to number six. Let's praise Jesus for showing us the great example of what humility looks like. What an awesome Savior that we serve. You should just, your, your mouth should just want to praise Him even more after reading what we just read. A simple question. A simple question. A simple answer from our Lord. But what, what depthness, what profoundness has He taught us tonight? Is your life characterized by pride or being humble? What hard issues do you struggle with that cause you to exhibit pride? Do you go to the Word to get answers from God? Is your mind transformed to live for God's kingdom rather than this world? Do you shepherd those around you with love? Our, our goal in life is to be like Jesus in every moment and every moment that we can. He was humble all the time. He shepherded with love all the time. That's what we should be as well. He loved others more than Himself. That should be our our motto, that should be what we live for, right? Love God with all your mind, heart, and soul. What's the second? Love your neighbors more than yourself. And I pray that as you um, talk to your small group leaders about your heart issues of why you struggle the way you do exhibiting pride, that, that the Lord can, can bring a lot of these issues to, to mind and that through the Word of God you can renew your mind and put on righteousness. We are not citizens of this kingdom, guys. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of God's kingdom. The way the world lives is not the way we are to live. The way the world lives is not the way we are to live. We are to follow what God has said in His Word. And sometimes that goes against entirely of what the world around us teaches us. But we stand firm in the truth of God. Because that is what He's called us to do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your great example. We thank You for Your humility. We thank You for coming down from Your abode in heaven, being at the mercy of human parents, being at the mercy of all the evil in this world for love, being obedient to the Father. We worship You. We praise You. We lift your name up high, O oh God. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being our Lord. Father, it's an honor and a privilege to serve you. It's an honor and a privilege to bow our knee to you. Thank you for being such a loving God, such a wonderful Savior. Father, we pray that you give us strength. That our lives can be characterized by being humble, Lord that you can reveal to us any heart issues, any sin issues that we have, that we can put off and we can renew our minds with your word and we can put on righteousness. Father, let us love others more than ourselves. Let us worship your kingdom always and not our own. Forgive us for our hearts, that they're always making these idols, always taking away worship from you. Help us. We can't do it on our own. We can't repent on our own. 
we can't be obedient to your word on our own. We can't be converted like children on our own. We need your help, and we ask you that you help us tonight. And if there's anyone here, Father, who is not in Christ, I pray that they, that you, Holy Spirit, can open their eyes so they can see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior and cry out to you tonight for salvation. It is in your name, in your precious name, that we pray. Amen.